the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another thrill-packed edition of Unite, i.e. Radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. My name is Greg, with the Redlands Tea Party Patriots, as well as the Unite, i.e. Coalition of Conservative and Patriot Groups, where our mission is to unite freedom-loving, America-loving Americans and magnify our strength and effectiveness in making and keeping America great, free and prosperous and uh score one for the uh the private citizens this week it was uh their pressure on their republican quote unquote republican senators that uh from sunday night of releasing the uh 370 page bill to um Legalize illegal immigration, or as Senate, Democrat Senator Chris Murphy summarized it, the border never closes, quote-unquote, Bill. And Monday, Mitch McConnell being 100% in support of it. Now, of course, it, it had $60 billion for Ukraine as well, uh, for you know, to keep Mitch happy. To uh, Tuesday, uh, Mitch was in full retreat and I, I said the bill was, it was, it was dead on arrival. And it was, and it failed to, failed to even get a majority in the Senate when they held a vote on, on Wednesday. And that is in large measure thanks to private citizens weighing in and influencing their government officials. So a collective high five to all of us on this victory. Although, of course, amnesty and open borders are like the monsters or zombies in the movies. They never die. They always rise again. But for the moment, it's dead. Um, pleased to welcome back to the show this week, uh, one of our, one of our favorite guests, Ken Timmerman, an expert in foreign policy. He's an investigative journalist, but with particular emphasis on the Middle East. And, uh, he is, uh, his books include and the rest is history. His own story of, of his own biography, tales of hostages, arms dealers, dirty tricks, and spies, election heist, which was a uh, remarkably prescient novel published in August 2020, Countdown to Crisis, the coming nuclear showdown with Iran, Dark Forces, the truth about what happened in Benghazi. But taking a turn, his latest book is Raising Olives in, I'm going to try my French, Provence. A guide for body and soul, and <clears throat> if we have time today, we will we will delve into the exciting topic topic of raising olives. But there's so much going on in the world, so so we'll we'll defer that discussion to either later in the show or maybe another time. Welcome to the show, Ken. Yeah, thanks for having me back on, Greg. It's uh, it's great to be with you. Okay. So uh, last time I think you were at your uh, your chateau in France, and now you're back to uh, your your home in in in, uh, in sunny Florida. And um, thanks for thanks for joining us. Uh, last time we talked is the it was back in November, and the Israel's war against Hamas in Gaza uh, was well underway, and that continues. The war continues, 
Um, I'm not sure what the end point of that is going to be. And you don't have all-out war in the Middle East, but Iran's, through its proxies, are are pushing. They have uh, launched hundreds of attacks on American bases in the Middle East. You know, why do we have so many bases in the Middle East? Another question. And their Houthi in, um, proxies in Yemen, on the south tip of the Arabian Peninsula, which at the entrance to the Red Sea and the Suez Canal, um, have been attacking international shipping, forcing most of it to route around the southern tip of Africa. Um, what's, what is, so I'll throw it over to you. What's going on now in, in that region and who's trying to do what? Well, first of all, Greg, not a chateau in France. It's my three-bedroom, run-down farmhouse. But uh, that aside, uh, yes, the last time we spoke, I think, was was either just before or just after I went to Israel uh, following the uh, Hamas attacks. I was there for a week uh, during a ceasefire uh, when Israeli prisoners, uh, hostages, were released. About 100 of them were released. Uh, that is now off the table. Hamas still has about 100 uh, hostages in those tunnels, we think, in Han Yunus. Now, as far as the rest of the region, what's going on is Iran. It's Iran. It's Iran. It's Iran. This The Iranian regime is using its proxy forces, activating, I should say, its proxy forces against both Israel and the United States. And, you know, the, the Iranian regime has got this uh, 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 mindset that they are willing to fight Israel to the blood of the last Palestinian. They're willing to fight Israel to the blood of the last Lebanese. But so far, they're not willing to battle the United States to the blood of the last IRGC commander, the Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps commanders. They get very uh, sketchy when we hit them. We have not hit them recently. It is uh, uh, President Trump showed the effectiveness of taking out their top commanders when he killed Qasem Soleimani. Iran's top terrorist in January of 2020 in Baghdad. We have not done that until actually Wednesday. So on Wednesday, the Biden administration launched the first, what I think was truly effective strike. They did not get an Iranian commander, but they did get the Iraqi commander who was in charge of the Ketayeb Hezbollah in Syria. So he was running operations for this Iraqi group in Syria. They got him in Baghdad. No collateral damage from what we know. Uh, and that is the kind of attack that the Iranians pay attention to. Until now, they have hit our forces 170 times in Syria, in Iraq uh, in particular. And this is not counting uh, the Houthis who are firing off missiles, as you mentioned, against commercial shipping in the Red Sea, has dramatically increased the cost of shipping uh, by about four times. You're shipping containers from China to Europe. It's gone from about $4,000 a container to around 15000 from what I understand. Uh, so that has had a dramatic impact. Oh, the Chinese. The Chinese are now saying they are going to weigh in with their ally, the Iranians, at least to make sure that their ships are not getting hit by the Houthis. So the, Iranian, the, the Chinese have a vested interest not in keeping all the not in keeping the international sea lanes open, but in keeping the international sea lines open to their trade. Interesting distinction there. Uh, remember, the United States have been protecting those international sea lanes since uh, the end of World War II, uh, since Bretton Woods. 
and, and, and uh, we do it for everybody. Uh, that's why we sail through the Taiwan Strait. The Chinese, uh-uh, they just want to keep the sea lanes open for their own shipping. Very, very interesting distinction. So anyhow, is, this is all about Iran. It's about Iran's proxies, and it's about hitting the United States uh, and hitting us again until we actually do something, take something out, somebody out that they care about. So far, we haven't really done that. Yeah, maybe it'll get so serious that the Biden, the O'Brien administration will uh, stop giving the Iranians money. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, good point. Um, look, this administration has empowered the Iranian regime from the first day that they took office. Remember, they began by uh, willfully shutting down America's oil resources. They shut down the uh, Keystone XL pipeline on day one. They shut down new drilling permits uh, inside the United States. They shut down offshore. They shut down Alaska. Uh, so that led immediately to a spike in oil prices and a decrease in U.S. production. Number one uh, act of weakening our national security. Number two was then to empower the Iranians. So they uh, they stopped enforcing the oil embargo on Iran. When Biden took office, the Iranians were exporting about 400,000 barrels a day because of the Trump sanctions. Today, they are exporting 1.5 billion barrels a day just to communist China, just to China. So they have tripled their oil exports, and we don't know how much more they're exporting to other places. So they have at least tripled their oil exports. The estimates I've seen that that has given them somewhere between 70 billion and 100 billion dollars of additional revenue that they did not have before. Uh, their foreign exchange reserves have, have dramatically expanded from four billion dollars at the time Trump left, left office to something like 60 or 70 billion today. Uh, so Biden has empowered them, has empowered the regime with money. Uh, he's empowered them by, uh, you know, failing to take any action against them uh, for their nuclear activities, failure to take any action against them for their terror activities, failure to punish them for their support to Hamas and its openly genocidal attack on Israel. And uh, the, the nuclear program is working in the background and uh, kind of waiting for the waiting for the shoe to drop. Uh, either an Iranian test, yes, we have them, or that first test may be actual use of nuclear weapons on either us and and or Israel. And we don't know because we do not know what the Ayatollah is thinking. Uh, but let me tell you what we do know. We we know. Quite a bit. Uh, we don't know their intentions, but we know a lot about their capabilities. And we know about their capabilities thanks to the International Atomic Energy a Agency and the inspections that they are still able to carry out, hampered though they are by the Iranians. The Iranians, by the way, if they don't like an inspector because he knows too much or he's too smart or he's too inquisitive, they just bar them. They bar that person from entering. They've done it with Americans in the past. Now they're doing it with Europeans, just keeping them from coming in on the inspection tours. Nevertheless, the IAEA continues to get information. They now estimate that Iran has enough uh, 60% uranium, which if enriched just a tiny bit further to weapons grade, they can make their first, uh, they will have enough uh, uh, material to make their first weapon in one week. They are one week away from the first bombs we've worth of material. Uh, they can have, I think it's four within a month, eight within two months, 
and, and a dozen within four months or five months. The Iranian regime is now so far in advance in uh, producing almost weapons-grade uranium, there's nothing to force them back. Now, the other two components, a missile to deliver it or some other delivery system, and the actual bomb design itself and the non-nuclear components, the Iranians had both of those and have had both of those for 20 years. <laughs> so they've got all the other components. Uh, they tested, we know, before 2003, they were testing the non-nuclear components for a nuclear design. And, you know, it's been almost 80 years now that nuclear weapons have been around. Uh, there are simple bomb designs available on the Internet, and the Iranians are pretty smart. I mean, seriously, their uh, scientists are very good. They've been stealing everything they can possibly steal from online archives, from hacking our national nuclear labs. They know how to make a nuclear weapon. And there's a great deal of speculation, which I've uh, listened to and, and, and heard about from inside sources, that their nuclear weapons program is actually uh, a joint program with North Korea. Every time North Korea has a nuclear weapons test, Iranian scientists have been there. Every time Iran has a long-range ballistic missile test, North Koreans are there. So there's a lot of um, vase communicant, as they would say in French. These are the, the two programs or uh, communicating with, with each other, the North Korean and the Iranian. We're a little past time for our break, so we're going we're gonna to hear from Ed Hoffman of United American Mortgage, a um, place to go for your real estate lending needs. And we come back, um, I want to pursue this a little bit further. I'm going to ask you, what is holding back Israel, if anything, from attacking the Iranian nuclear program? Back after this. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage and host of the main event right here on AM590 The Answer. Mortgage rates are up, but credit card rates are way higher. And credit card balances have hit an all-time high as inflation puts the squeeze on everyone's budget. Not to mention how auto loan rates and payments have gone through the roof. Let me point out, it doesn't matter how low your existing mortgage interest rate is if you can't make the payments on everything else. Are you wondering what to do? Do you need some financial strategy? Want to talk to someone who thinks like you? Call me at 855-640-2020. We'll discuss a strategy that works for you today and also considers what happens when the interest rates drop as we move into the inevitable recession. To have that discussion, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020, or go to edhoffman.net and click on the United American Mortgage logo. Ed Hoffman, NMLS ID number 9921, United American Mortgage Corporation, NMLS ID number 1942. United American Mortgage Corporation is an equal housing lender and licensed by the California Department of Real Estate. AM 590, the answer. Welcome back to Unite, i.e. Radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. My name is Greg Britton, Redlands Tea Party Patriots and Unite, i.e. Coalition of Conservative and Patriot Groups. Very pleased to have on the show this week Ken Timmerman, who is an investigative reporter specializing in the uh, in the Middle East, including Iran. And when we left our before the break, we were discussing the Iranian nuclear program that is on the precipice of actually having nuclear weapons and they already have the Iranians have the ability to uh, to deliver them with missiles is Netanyahu has talked for many years about that we just can't let that happen and Israel will not let that happen um but here they are uh now I know they're they're engaged in this ground war against 
Hamas in Gaza right now. Uh, what is holding Israel back from attacking the Iranian nuclear program to at least set it back? Greg, I think Netanyahu has made very clear that their top priority right now is total victory in a war against Hamas. Total victory means destroying Hamas as a military entity, as a governing power, and making sure that Israel maintains a security presence in Gaza, controls the security situation in Gaza to prevent Hamas from ever emerging again. You know, I wrote a paper about this for the America First Policy Institute, which I just joined as a senior fellow in January, uh, about Israel's called Israel's War for Survival and the End of the Two-State Solution. Tremendously important. The Israelis, I think, now as a body politic have come together, uh, left and right together, to understand that there can never be a Palestinian state. Uh, they did a poll in October. Fatih Shikaki, a very well-known Palestinian pollster, very reliable. He found that uh, 72% of Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank supported what Hamas did, supported the October 7th attack. In the West Bank, it was 82%. Now, there, there are even more Palestinians in the West Bank that supported the Hamas attacks than there were in Gaza. How can you possibly award the attributes of a state to a people who want to eradicate their neighbors right down to the last man, woman, child, and probably dog. I mean, it is just unthinkable. And finally, I think the Israelis on the left have woken up to that. And so this notion of a two-state solution of a Palestinian state has been uh, done a death blow by Hamas itself. Now, what does that have to do with Iran's nuclear weapons program? It has this to do with it. Netanyahu must deliver total victory. That means, first, that victory in Gaza, which means also getting his hostages out. Second, he has to make sure that the northern front holds, that Hezbollah, another Iranian proxy, does not draw Israel into a much, much bigger war, such as I saw on the ground in 2006, uh, which was devastating for the Israelis. So they've got a two-front war right now. I'm not saying that Israel does not have the bandwidth to open a third front, but what I would suggest is that they do not have the necessity, they don't have the need to open that third front with Iran now. They're watching to see what the United States does. The Iranians have been prodding us, and they've been prodding us, they've sensed the weakness of the Biden uh, White House, so they've been testing us, over 170 attacks just on our troops in Iraq and Syria. What is the United States going to do? Are we going to act as a deterrent to uh, the Iranians? I think that's one thing that Netanyahu is waiting for. The second thing he's waiting for is for the Iranians to actually cross the red line. Now, nobody knows for 100 percent sure what Israel's red line is. And if, and if I were to tell you that I know what it is, I'd be lying. OK, but from what I can surmise, the Israelis have kind of pushed that red line pretty far, pretty close to the point where Iran would actually have a weapon assembled and be ready to put it on top of a missile. That is really a last-minute red line, okay? That that would be the red line drawn at the very last point that you could possibly draw it, but they are very close to that. 
the, the, the Israelis, I believe, are very close to drawing that as a red line. Iran has not crossed that red line. And the Iranians have been very careful so far not to cross that red line. Uh, and so that, I think, is what is holding Israel back right now. Well, Israel has very good intelligence. And last time you were on, you talked about the, how they managed to uh, get I don't know, hundreds of thousands of pages of right. Iranian documents, uh, highly class- as highly classified, I'm sure, as they can, Iran could possibly make them. They managed to get them and get them out of Iran into, into Israel. So they have good intelligence. But I don't know, can they, I don't know if they can ascertain that that, yeah, that uh, yesterday they uh, 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 had enough of your uh, weapons grade uranium or plutonium, whichever they're using, and actually assembled assembled a bomb. Uh, is 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 their intelligence real time that good? I don't know. I can't tell you. Uh, and, and again, if I were to tell you that, I'd be lying. And, and pretending to know something that is so highly classified in Israel that there's probably only a dozen people who know the answer to that question, right? And I am certainly not one of them, <laughs> and I don't pretend to be one of them. Uh, but uh, the international community, through the IAEA, would have some warning. They would probably not capture the exact moment that the Iranians decided to enrich that final bit from 60% to 90%. Um, so the Iranians would probably be able to have enough weapons material for two, three, four bombs before the IAEA knew that they were breaking out. Okay. Uh, would the Israelis know before that? I don't know, but I think they would be able to determine if the Iranians were spinning up missiles are getting ready to load a warhead onto a missile. That's something I think they would be able to detect. I think we would be able to detect that as well through national technical means. The Israelis would detect it probably through spies on the ground. The reason why, the reason why I'm so concerned is we just, as we've discussed on your prior appearances is, well, Israel's widely uh, believed to have nuclear weapons, if not already ready, easily Turn the screw, so to speak, on on on, on to, to finish assembling it. Um, is that Iran could use these as EMP, electromagnetic pulse weapons, and one or two of them fired from a freighter on a missile off the U.S. coast could destroy the entire U.S. electrical system. And it's estimated that uh, seventy to not, seventy-five to ninety percent of Americans would be dead in a year, not from nuclear blast or radiation, but from Disease, starvation, and breakdown of order. And so I have, I have long regarded this the Iranian nuclear program as existential, also in part because I, I'm not confident that the Iranian mullahs could be deterred by the prospect of nuclear retaliation on Iran. So they're, they're pushing, they're, they're letting it go very, very close. And I think, um, unwisely so, um, because you can't count on enough warning. And once they have them, that changes the calculus of an attack on Iran dramatically. Yes, but now you're talking about the threat to the United States. Israel has missile defenses, so if the which we do not, we do not have a national miss, missile defense here for the the actual for uh, the, the American homeland. We have missile defenses around the world. Many times they don't work, as in that base in Jordan where the three soldiers were killed. Uh, there was no defense. There was no detection. Apparently, we're now learning from the Pentagon. But we do not have national missile defenses around the American homeland. So we are more vulnerable in a way than the Israelis are to a missile strike 
from Iran. Uh, I suspect that the Iranians would want to know 150%, would want to have 150% certainty that the bombs would work. And for them to have 150% certainty that the bombs would work either, they will have to have already tested them in North Korea, which is a possibility, unconfirmed, but a possibility, or, and this is what some people are thinking and talking about now um, in the expert community, they would have to actually conduct an underground nuclear test, uh, which I think is a possibility. Uh, and uh, under Biden, I think they could get away with it. Uh, I don't, do not think the United States would retaliate if they were to uh, test and say that they were conducting a test. It's a test. It is a not, it is not a launch. It is a test. Uh, and then they would declare themselves a nuclear weapon state. This is a scenario that I think is very real today. And it's something that we, um, uh, this administration is not prepared to deal with. No, they are, they're on, they're, they've taken Iran's side and we, and that's mm-hmm. a much longer discussion as to why they are, yes. why the Obama and now, um, O'Brandon administrations are so pro Iran. That's all the time we have in this half. Uh, stay tuned for the exciting second half of Unite IE Radio, and we may be able to get into how to grow olives in France if we, if we can find the time. Back after this. AM 590, the answer. Welcome back to Unite IE Radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. My name is Greg Britton, Residence Tea Party Patriots and Unite IE Coalition of Conservative and Patriot Groups, where our mission is to unite freedom-loving, America-loving Americans and magnify our strength and effectiveness in making and keeping America great, free, and prosperous. And as I said at the outset of uh, first half, the uh, We American Citizens uh, scored a victory this week um, uh, by pressuring the quote-unquote Republican senators to... Uh, change course and uh, block the uh, immigration bill that um, Democrat Senator Chris Murphy uh, described as, quote, the border never closes, unquote. Uh, but vigilance is required because they'll be back. Um, as Obi-Wan Kenobi said of the Sand Riders in Star Wars, they'll be back and in greater numbers. Um, we are talking about the threat from Iran and what's going on in the Middle East and Immigration and that has a, has an important tie-in because through those open borders, anybody can get through. And we have to assume that there are Hamas oper- uh, operatives, there are Hezbollah operatives, there are Iranian Revolutionary Guards, and probably Chinese special forces that have all been, that are now stationed in America waiting to strike. Well, we know that there's several hundred people on the terrorism list who have who are considered gotaways, who have gotten into this country and they're now at large. We also know that there's over 28,000 young Chinese men of military age, between the ages of 18 and I think 26 it is, uh, who have come into the country. Uh, and that, that's basically, right, that is a division and a half. That's a division and a half of Chinese military age. Men Are they here to conduct a military operation? I don't know. Are they here to prepare the way in the event that uh, the U.S. and China come to blows over Taiwan at some point in the future? Remember, President Xi has talked about 2027 as being kind of his new deadline for uh, invading Taiwan. I don't know. But it is certainly disturbing 
that there's so many young men. These are not families coming from communist China. These are men, military age men. So, yeah, this is a real serious thing. As President Trump has said, a country that does not have a border is not a country. We don't have a border. That's absolutely true. And it ties into what we were talking about in the first half about uh, an EMP, electromagnetic pulse attack, because there was, if you, um, you may have seen the movie, uh, that, uh, put out by the actor Dennis Quaid came out in, I think it was 23 or 22, I forget which, is that our electrical system is, is vulnerable. To, one is solar storms that will inevitably hit the U.S. and could wipe out our, our electrical system. Two, nuclear EMP attack where the bomb is detonated in outer space over the United States and the electromagnetic pulse destroys our systems. But it's also vulnerable and it's vulnerable to hacking and uh, viruses. But it's also vulnerable to on the ground attack. And they pointed out in the movie taking out less than 20 substations in America would destroy the entire grid and take down we wouldn't Americans wouldn't have wouldn't have electricity. Um, and with all those, you know, uh, whether it's Chinese or Iranian Revolutionary Guards or Hezbollah or Hamas terrorists in the country, um, they have less than 20, they have less than 20 targets to take down our entire electrical system. Yeah, it, it is a frightening prospect. Uh, I did not see that particular movie, but I'm very, very well aware of those scenarios. I actually took part, Greg, in the first um, war game, tabletop wargaming exercise at the U.S. Army War College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania over a cyber slash EMP slash massive solar flare attack uh, that would take down the U.S. grid. What do we do when the grid goes down? What do we do when all of our electronic infrastructure goes down, when we lose our corporate memory, our government memory? And uh, one of the generals there who was a visionary at the time. This is almost 20 years ago, Greg. He was talking about Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> so, you know, where is our Battlestar Galactica with the backup of all of the information that would otherwise be destroyed in an EMP attack or this other type of attack on our uh, national power grid? Yeah, we are at risk, and we have not taken the steps to to protect against it. And... The steps that are necessary are in the scheme of government spending, in the scheme of the economy, um, almost um, inconsequentially inexpensive. I mean, we're talking about an extra dollar or two on your on your electrical bill to save the country. As we said, without, without electricity, you imagine there's no food, right. there's no refrigeration, right. there's no there's no medicine delivery, there's no fuel, there's no electronic communication. Um, it's going to be um, Mad Max. Yes. yes. Very quickly. No, no, no cell phones, no ATMs, uh, you know, in, in nothing that functions on electricity or using silicon chips because the chips fry. All those chips fry. Your 1966 Mustang will be very good, thank you, but you better have stockpiled enough gasoline to keep it going in some place that does not need pumping with an electric motor. Uh, you know, even your, your, uh, your generators uh, that you put in, you're thinking that you're going to save yourself in the event of a big storm. Well, those generators aren't going to work either. They will also try. So we're talking about the end of the world as we know it versus, as you say, a couple of bucks uh, a month or a year on your electrical bill. And so far, our politicians have not been willing to tag on that money to defend the grid. Yes. Pronouns, LGBTQ stuff, all these things. And you have these existential threats. To the right. country, you have 
100,000 plus Americans are dying from fentanyl every year. Right. And you would think that that would be a, t- you know, every American leader, Democrat and Republican, would be that's that has to stop. There would be the border would be secure. The uh, Mexicans would be being leaned on as heavily as possible to stop it from their side. There would be sanctions on China, who's working with the Mexican cartels to make and, and, and ship this stuff into the country. And there would be constant PSAs on the me- in, in every, every, every media format and social media warning people against the dangers of fentanyl and that you could find fentanyl in anything. You think you're buying, you think you're buying some marijuana or something else and there could be, it could be laced with fentanyl and you could be dead. And, but you see none of that. Right. You see, you know, another issue that gets very little, very little attention is, <clears throat> I think it's worldwide, certainly in the West, the uh, male sperm count, not males, that's redundant, sperm counts are dropping. And by 2050, I read that the median, this median sperm count will be zero. Talk about mm. existential. Mm. Is there, is there any attention by our rulers to that? No. You know, Greg, I do a, a, a weekly show called Prophecy Today. And, uh, the man who started that show, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, he passed away uh, during COVID, but he did it for 30 years, 40 years, and I did it with him for about 20. And he reminded me, uh, as a authentic scholar of Bible prophecy, he says, America does not exist in Bible prophecy. We are not there in the end times calendar that God has set out for us in Bible prophecy. Why is that? What happened to America? And so he did a whole video on this and he interviewed me at great length. And there are many ways that America ceases to exist in the end time scenario that God has set out in the Bible for it. But one of them is an electromagnetic pulse attack. Uh, Another is that we have been undermined from within, uh, uh, you know, and we are not reproducing ourselves. A a third is that we have been taken over by a hostile power, either militarily or even worse, without firing a shot. Remember, Sun Tzu says it is better uh, to to, uh, uh, defeat your enemy without having to fire a shot. Uh, and, and the Chinese are big, big students of his. They are looking for ways to undermine us from within. So don't believe that America will continue forever to be the predominant force in the world. It will not unless all of us stand up for it and work to defend it. Absolutely. Once again, as the model of the show, the most important political office is that of the private citizen and I think we can save the country through constitutional and electoral means, uh, but what we do, what we're doing thus far ain't good enough to, uh, right. to, 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 to save the country. I, I do want to turn back to, because part of the bill that was defeated, at least temporarily, was another $60 billion for Ukraine. And, um, you and I may differ on the wisdom of Waging proxy war against the against Russia for control of eastern Ukraine, but um, it looks like it looks like it's one is one of the most corrupt countries in the world. And, uh, Ukrainian government official was quoted recently saying people are stealing like there's no tomorrow, and uh, clearly what the cut is of our ruling class out of out of that out of out of the money for Ukraine, but it, it's uh, it's not going well. They're running out of weapons. They're running out of uh, the Ukrainians are. They're running out of people. And, uh, two years, two years into it, two years into the war, um, 
Russia, with a much smaller economy, is outproducing the so-called arsenal of democracy, the USA, in just basically things like artillery shells. So where where do you see where do you see things happening or going in Ukraine? Uh, I, I don't see them going well, and uh, I, I think you know. The, first of all, the war itself w- was an absurdity that never needed to happen. Remember, for four years under President Trump, it did not happen uh, because Putin was talking to, to Trump. They had a relationship as two leaders, and Putin did not feel under President Trump that Russia was being encircled. He did not feel that we were ineluctably trying to move the borders of NATO to the east to create a direct confrontation zone with Russia. At that point, Ukraine was essentially a buffer state, was essentially a buffer state. And Biden changed all that. Biden and his handlers. I think the person, the most uh, uh, the most powerful person in the current administration when it comes to Ukraine is the deputy secretary of state, Victoria Nuland. Vicky Nuland has been uh, going back and forth to Ukraine uh, from you know, well before the Maidan revolution in 2014, she's been there as a sorcerer's apprentice trying to um, instigate the Ukrainians to rise up against Russia, to foment a war against Russia. This is an unnecessary war. It's going badly. And I think President Trump is right. If he comes back into office in January of 2025, I think he really can resolve the war. It might not be 24 hours, as he says, but it won't be much longer than a week or a month. True. Yeah. I mean, if we, if we pull the plug on, 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 uh, money to Ukraine, uh, I think things will go really quickly. And unfortunately, you know, if, if there had not been a war and if we had, uh, respected Russia's, I think, legitimate security concerns that Ukraine is going, Ukraine could be a peaceful, neutral country today, still corrupt, but peaceful and neutral and hundreds of thousands of people that have died in this war would still would would be alive today uh because of the uh, that have been killed i think primarily because of the incompetence or malevolence or both of the uh O'Brandon, of the O'Brandon uh regime and, and, and uh, Greg, Greg let me just add one thing though uh, i don't think president trump would end the war by just putting pressure on ukraine I think he's made clear, and people I know who are close, closer to his thought process, I think he's, 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 he's very clear that he would put pressure on both Putin and Zelensky. So he would offer Putin a deal and say, look, I want you to come to the negotiating table, but if you don't, we will enforce every sanction that's on the books. They haven't been enforced in the past year. We will cripple your economy. You will not export another barrel of oil. Come to the negotiating table, and those things won't happen. And then he goes to Zelensky and he says, I want you at the negotiating table as well. And if you don't, we're cutting you off. So it's a bit, it's really, it's putting the pressure on both of them and giving them a win-win situation, but a real bad lose, a real bad loss if they don't come to the table. So far, the United States has not done that. We've been solidly on Zelensky's side, pushing him even to war and to, to more offensives. Uh, and, and, and preventing him from seeking any kind of negotiated solution with Putin, even if Putin wanted one. Well, the, the reports are, maybe you can confirm or confirm them or not, is that there were, that within a month of the start of the war, uh, there were, there were, there were peace negotiations in Turkey and that the, the Ukrainian negotiators had initialed a draft peace treaty that, uh, was vetoed uh, by Zelensky under pressure from, uh, the O'Brandon administration and UK. 
Yeah, it was the trip of Boris Johnson to um, uh, Kiev that scuttled that. I think it was in April, a- April or May of uh, 20, uh, 2022. And uh, yes, they ha- they were on the verge of, of of a breakthrough in those talks, and it was it, the kibosh was put on it by the UK with support from the United States. All right, let's take again take a pause here and hear from the aforementioned Ed Hoffman of United America Mortgage. And another sponsor for this half is attorney Gregory W. Britton, um, does business and real property law. It was pretty good, and you can reach him at 909-335-7335. That is 909-335-7335. Back after this. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage and host of the main event right here on AM590 The Answer. Mortgage rates are up, but credit card rates are way higher, and credit card balances have hit an all-time high as inflation puts the squeeze on everyone's budget, not to mention how auto loan rates and payments have gone through the roof. Let me point out, it doesn't matter how low your existing mortgage interest rate is if you can't make the payments on everything else. Are you wondering what to do? Do you need some financial strategy? Want to talk to someone who thinks like you? Call me at 855-640-2020. We'll discuss a strategy that works for you today and also considers what happens when the interest rates drop as we move into the inevitable recession. To have that discussion, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020 or go to edhoffman.net and click on the United American Mortgage logo. Ed Hoffman, NMLS ID number 9921. United American Mortgage Corporation, NMLS ID number 1942. United American Mortgage Corporation is an equal housing lender and licensed by the California Department of Real Estate. AM 590, the answer. Welcome back to Unite IE Radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. My name is Greg Britton, Rather Tea Party Patriots and Unite IE Coalition of Conservative and Patriot Groups. I'm very pleased uh, this week to be visiting again with Ken Timmerman, who is an investigative reporter specializing in in, in international matters and in particularly uh, the Middle East. And he's written a number of books, and he wants to talk. And we want to talk about his his latest book, which is something of a, of a departure. It is a raising olives in uh, Provence, which is a, a region of in in the south of France, where Ken has a house. And uh, the, the subtitle is a guide for for body and soul. So I so I I, I joked about how to raise olives, but I infer that it is not really about, about the techniques of of raising olives. Well, there's a little bit. There's actually quite a bit about raising olives, but that's not the main story. The main story is about Provence, is about this region where I live, the people there, uh, the people that I've met, that I've come into contact with, and it's a book about love and friendship. It's a book about faith as well. Uh, and the epigram of the book, uh, which uh, you just have to open it up. Life is good. God is great. And Jesus is not a Muslim. So it's me basically teaching the faith to the heathen in France. And believe me, uh, the French have become completely hedonistic as well as heathen. Uh, and and, and the, uh, most of my friends there uh, have not darkened the doorstep of a church in their entire lifetime, not just since they've been adults, but in their entire lifetime. And as you'll see in the book, I get through with them after not very long. We were all handing, holding hands before meals and saying grace and praising the Lord and thanking Jesus for the, his, his gift and his grace of this day. So it really is a, it's a book also a bit of proselytism to the French in a very gentle sort of way. Uh, and and, that, and, that, and that, that's valuable and important because, uh, 
undermining of Christianity and uh, belief in God is one of the ways that uh, Western civilization and America are are being undermined. Um, I want to, uh, in our remaining, yeah, so you can, you can pick that up on Amazon and other places as well as Ken's uh, other uh, other great books. Um, I want to turn our remaining attention to an interesting article that I, I came across this week. Um, the French bestseller, U.S. is a Nihilist Empire. And apparently this book is the, um, it's, it's a, it, it's a, there's a book in France that he's, he writes about that's a, the bestseller. And I'll try my French again. La Defaite de l'Occident, which, um, means the defeat of the West. La défaite. La défaite. La, la défaite de l'Occident, yeah. Okay. And, uh, he talks about in particular what's happening in the, uh, in the war with Ukraine as well as more broader cultural issues. And that, uh, supposedly, uh, the Russia, you know, the, the Russian economy has withstood these sanctions. They're, they're more prosperous than they started the war at. That, as you mentioned Correct. earlier, that Russia is outproducing even the entire West, as well as the, including the United States, in in weapons, both the sophisticated guided missiles and so on, but also just in basic um, dumb artillery shells. Once you once you fire it, it's going where it's it's going where it's going. Right. And uh, also, interestingly, third is we're losing to according to the book, we're losing to Russia in ideological warfare. In the soft power is that the LGBTQ stuff and transgender stuff and all the rages of West of Western liberalism ain't too popular in the rest of the world. And Russia's more traditional culture is giving it what we used to call for ourselves soft power. Right. Well, that's right. And, and I think the, you know, look, one of the saving graces of France and I've lived there uh, full time for 18 years as a younger man. And then we've been back, back and forth for the past 22 years in this house, house in the south of France. So I have a pretty good understanding of the French and of French culture. One of the saving graces is that there is a, um, uh, there are uh, people who think outside of the box. You have this, this tremendous intellectual class in France, which is groupthink, the media, government, the elites. It's groupthink just as we have here in this country. And yet there are always those other people who think outside of the box. So they have their Gordon Petersons in France. They have their people like Victor David Hansen in France. They have their people such as the author of this book, La Defecte de l'Occident, The Defeat of, of the West, who are thinking outside of the box and trying to warn the French. Unfortunately, the French people don't want to really be warned. Or if they do, they just all move to the south of France and stop paying their taxes. Hmm. Sounds like a plan. And, and you, 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 you do the same thing here. I mean, people, you know, think, well, I'm, I'm going to move to Tennessee. I'm going to move to Arkansas. I'm going to move to Idaho. And, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll maintain a good life that with some semblance of the way things were in America while the rest of the country falls. And I think that's ultimately. Cash economy. Be, that, that's ultimately going to be. A, yep. I think it's ultimately, it's ultimately, it, you're ultimately going to lose that one because when the, when the, when America, the federal government's a one-party state, they're going to make your life on the farm untenable. Well, you're right. It is. It is. It is not a plan. It is a fantasy. Uh, but nevertheless, there 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 are enough people who who do indulge in that. You'd be surprised. Uh, I was surprised, and I tell this in raising olives in Provence. I tell there's a there's a little scene there where uh, I I talk about. Uh, 
about uh, being up in, in Paris in, uh, during the 2004 election campaign and, and wandering the streets, the Rue de Rivoli, with my George W. Bush T-shirt just because I like to be provocative. And I get stopped by these taxi drivers, and they say, are you the – at first, I'm kind of wondering whether they're going to, you know, knock my head off or, or run me down or whatever. But they jump out of their cars on the Rue de Rivoli, which is a very popular street, and they say, are you the person who was on TV last night taking the piss out of all of these, you know, elitist journalists? I said, yeah, I guess that was me. He said, thank you, sir, for speaking the truth. It's called Paris Pravda. You know, thank you, sir, for speaking the truth to these people who are trying to brainwash us all the time. So there still are people in France who realize – that the country is going to hell in a handbasket, that the elites are ruining the country. And I found in the south of France, it is a far more conservative area uh, that is far more friendly to the United States. Every year on August 15th, they celebrate the D-Day landing of the south of France. This is one that Churchill didn't want to have happen. He was dragooned into it. But it was the D-Day landing led by an American general, Bernard Patch. And you know what? The Boulevard Patch, you know where that starts? That starts... And the famous beaches in Saint-Colpay, they're actually in Hamachuel, but the most famous beach, uh, uh, Pompelone, where all the movie stars go, all these billionaires with their yachts go, and if they just paid attention to the street sign, when they drive up that road up to the hill to go into Saint-Colpay proper, they are paying homage to General Bernard Patch, who led the liberation of the south of France on August 15th, 1944. And every year, even in my little village, they have a parade with World War II jeeps and tanks and uniforms and resistance fighters to commemorate it every single year. Well, it's the same with tour in France. The most the most important political office is that of the private citizen. It's true. It's, there we go. It is, it is it is true everywhere. And yeah. um, if we want to preserve our countries, our freedom, our uh, Republican uh, form of government, not the Republican Party, but as in elected rep- republic representative democracy, the uh, private citizens need will need to step it up because uh, we're as of right now we're losing. All of the above. Uh, Ken, I think we're out of time here, and I want to thank you so much for being on the show and all your all your great work, and um, uh, as well as your lesson in how to grow olives. You know, that's you know, somebody's got to do it. I don't like olives personally, but somebody's got it. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to grow the food, and uh, we appreciate that great insight. And as always, tune in next week for another exciting edition of Unite IE Radio. AM five ninety, the answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.